to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Welcome back, everybody. I want to start off this episode by bringing up something I think that cannot be lost within all of this alphabet soup, transgender this, pedophile that, within uh, American K-12 schools. There is a particular habit that I've noticed, of course, throughout this entire time that is remarkably disturbing. And I think that a criminologist would have a really interesting time investigating this a little bit further and certainly would be able to lay out exactly what it is that we're watching. But I would say this, like most criminals, a lot of criminals love to boast about their work and brag about what crime they're committing. An arsonist, for example, would set something on fire and then run away and then turn around and watch what they've done. Um, a murderer, same thing. A robber, same thing. And we've seen a lot of those videos in the past, too, where an individual will commit a crime, and then they will jump on the internet, and they will start recording themselves talking about the crime that they committed. They, I mean, they cannot help themselves. I don't think it's any different when it comes to these pedophiles that exist within American K-12 schools. You've probably noticed, but they're all running to TikTok, and they're all running to any online streaming platform, again, whether it's a short-form video or it's social media in some form or, or whatever it may be, but they're running to video, and they're actually telling people what it is that they're doing in the classroom, and they're doing it without any thought of any consequence whatsoever. And, I might add, a great deal of them, of course, are resigning and getting fired as a result of what they're saying online, on these videos saying that they're going to trick parents and lie to parents and that they're going to teach you know, their quote-unquote students within their classroom um, all about sexual perversions and, and their sexual identity and all of this stuff. Again, a criminologist would have, a, would have a, a very interesting time analyzing this, I think. But as far as I can tell from, again, things that I've studied and things that I've written in the past, and I wrote about this specifically, within uh, my book, Violence Among Students and School Staff, that the business of using social media as a platform, many individuals use it to be either voyeuristic in their, you know, in, in their uh, habitual nature with, with social media, or they are exhibitionists to some extent. There is certainly a narcissistic element, I think, that cannot get lost in all of this. And uh, if not, you know, certain personality disorders, without a doubt. Again, these are not well individuals, and yet here they are running to video platforms, showing themselves on a constant basis again, talking about all of the things that they're doing in a classroom that they have no business doing in a classroom. Again, it would be like being on um, a construction site and walking around the home that you're building when you're working for someone else who's actually in charge of the company and you're walking around with a Molotov cocktail and you're saying, oh, look, look what I'm going to do. I might do this or I might do that. I might set this on fire or I might not. I don't know. I mean, that person has to be fired. You have to, you have to remove that person, if not arrest them. They're threatening, they're threatening a crime. And that's what a lot of these people are doing. But what they're doing more specifically, again, is they're they're just showing their real mental illness. 
And this is a serious problem. Uh, I, I would I would just encourage people to understand sort of that larger picture because I don't think that that can get lost. Now, there's some audio that I want to play right off the bat here, and again, you'll you'll hear exactly what I'm talking about. This individual is not unique in this regard. We've 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 heard a lot of these individuals say very similar things. We we've seen these videos. Um, you know the the Twitter account libs for TikTok covers this on a daily basis, constantly. And I want to play this particular audio clip again because this is an example of an individual who is openly talking about their own beliefs regarding all of this. Uh, but this is a person that is not well. And something something cool about me, Miss Hammond? All right. all right. So something that's really cool and unique about who I am is that I am transgender. So we touched a little bit about that at the beginning of this week uh, in the book that Ms. Hammond read, but I'm going to give you my explanation about what it means to be transgender as well. So when babies are born, the doctor looks at them and they make a guess about whether the baby is a boy or a girl based on what they look like. And most of the time that guess is 100% correct. There are no issues whatsoever. Um, and, but sometimes the doctor is wrong. The doctor makes an incorrect guess. Um, when the doctor makes a correct guess, that's when a person is called cisgender. When a doctor's guess is wrong, that's when they are transgender. So I'm a man. But when I was a baby, the doctors told my parents I was a girl. And so my parents gave me a name that girls typically have and bought me clothes that girls typically wear. Um, and until I was 18 years old, Everyone thought I was a girl, and this was super, super uncomfortable for me because I knew that wasn't right. Um, the way I like to describe it is like wearing a super itchy sweater. Um, the longer you wear it, the itchier it gets, and the only way to make the itching stop is to have everyone see and know the person that you really are. So when I was 18, I told my family and my friends that I'm really a boy, and it was like this huge weight had been lifted off of my shoulders and I had the freedom to be who I truly am. And even though this experience is super challenging sometimes, um, I am it may be the person I am and I'm super proud to be transgender. Okay, now for a little more background on this. Uh, at the very top of the Twitter post, it says first grade teacher records an identity share, quote unquote, Zoom call with K through two grades where he spoke about being trans. Again, if, if this is a woman, which it claims to be, uh, this is an individual that has gone full bore. They've got the flannel shirt, the short hair, glasses, and facial hair. Uh, this, again, look, you know, there might be some people that are offended by this. You know, whatever, so be it. This is mental illness. I don't know what else to say. It's mental illness. This is an individual that is not well. This is a person who, again, they're openly saying this in a Zoom call. And, and everybody's just supposed to be okay with that. Um, I'm not okay with that. N not in the slightest. If you, if, you, if you were to encounter this individual in an open house, for example, and I've talked about open houses before within K-12 schools and the whole mentality of an open house. Me personally, I loved open houses and the parents who were in my classroom uh, listening to me talk about the things that I was going to be teaching that semester to their, to their children, they enjoyed hearing me talk because, again, as you might imagine, um, I was pretty stern. I was straight to the point. I didn't mess around. 
I didn't talk about my personal life. I, I didn't bring up any of that. I, I, I was business, 100% business all of the time. And uh, I told them that I was interested in, in making sure that their child was safe in the environment and that learning was, was you know, the number one goal. This, however, is insanity. Uh, if this individual was speaking in an open house like this and saying this, as a parent, you would have to stand up and leave. Um, you would have to yank your child out of that school. Again, the environments that are tolerating this kind of behavior, uh, it, 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 the, these environments won't last. They, they just won't. There's no way that they can. You cannot, you cannot perpetuate this kind of mental illness and normalize this kind of thing among adults and expect minors to be okay. I mean, they will not be okay. In fact, there's a Substack article uh, that I wanted to read, but it's, it's rather lengthy, but, so I'll just kind of cut to the point of it. But an individual wrote a Substack article, and they were talking about how basically a lot of this too in particular within the hallways of schools among girls in particular, although boys are engaging in this behavior too, but it's sort of a clique kind of thing. It's this clique gang-like mentality or peer pressure-like mentality where they use the pronouns the way that they do and the zers and the zs and all that other bullshit. And they're using all of that basically just to garner attention from one another. It's not even that they necessarily believe it. But because they are doing it with some semblance of regularity, again, to either be liked or have influence with one another or make it look like they have friends, they slowly start to brainwash one another and then brainwash themselves into actually believing that they are the opposite sex of who they actually, you know, biologically are. Um, That's a real thing. And that's happening, too. So this isn't getting better. And the other thing that I wanted to bring up, too, was this in, in, in this same wavelength, is we have a number of, as I'm sure you know, and as I've brought up here before, but there are a number of states, of course, that are pushing forth these laws now, uh, Virginia being one of them, where parents now have to be notified, again, if their child is going to be experiencing or learning about anything that is sexually explicit. And they have to be told in advance. There has to be some kind of a waiver form that's signed if they don't want to engage in the particular activity. My question is larger than that. Why is the activity even taking place in the first place? It shouldn't even be taking place. So we're creating laws. Again, this is Overton window stuff. And and it's dangerous. It's not good Overton window stuff. Because again, the Overton window, as I mentioned earlier this week, is dangerous. And this is the kind of stuff that's bouncing around inside of that Overton window, sort of with the illusion that it's a good thing when in fact it isn't. We're creating laws that aren't really getting rid of this kind of behavior. We're creating laws that are tolerating this kind of behavior. And, it's, and all it's doing is giving people the choice. Well, do you want to hear about uh, transgender this or alphabet soup letters that and sexual perverse this and sexual perverse that. Oh, you don't? Oh, well, then just sign this waiver, and then we'll move your child into the cafeteria while all the other students are receiving this quote-unquote education. I cannot think of a larger waste of instructional time and, and time for a human being within those environments when they're supposed to just be learning actual facts 
that are subject specific to what, you know, is really going on in the world and has gone in, on in the past and so on and so forth. But again, you know, this, these environments just cannot last. They can't. It's it's the worst business model that I've ever seen in my entire life. And again, if as I've said this in the past too, if a business were run like these schools are being run, where they're allowing people like this to be teaching, uh, the business would close. The only reason that the business would stay open is if what happened. Well, you would have to hire all of the exact same people who think the exact same way all of the time. The administration would have to be just like that transgender person. All of the teachers would have to tolerate that transgender person and be just like that person. And then your entire school basically becomes this alphabet soup school with nothing but transhuman transgenders walking around all of the time. I mean, at the end of the day, that's it. Because again, people tend to hire like-minded individuals. So I, I just uh, I, I don't think that these schools will last. I, I really don't. As long as the schools continue to behave this way and hire these kinds of people, and let's not kid ourselves, they're borderline pedophiles, if not straight-up pedophiles. Because as I said earlier, you know the stuff about the word groomer and grooming. You know, groomer is a tactic of a pedophile. So don't call them groomers, they're pedophiles. Let me give you another example of exactly what I'm talking about here. There's another story here from lifenews.com, and here's the actual title. Again, you know, the titles of these articles give away what's actually going on if you can read between the lines here. It's titled, Republicans in 11 States Promote Bills to Stop Schools from Pushing Sex on Kids. Ladies and gentlemen, it's an open admission by government that schools are pushing sex on children, on minors, elementary school kids, kindergartners. That's a crime. That's a crime. They're openly stating it. And they're going, well, we better make these laws, you know, so that uh, we can reinforce the already existing law that you can't push sex on children. And the memes are out there. And God love the memes. But the memes are out there saying, oh, okay, so I can't sexually harass someone at work as an adult, and I can't talk about sex at work as an adult within, you know, either around other coworkers for fear that it will make someone uncomfortable and I'll lose my job if not be prosecuted, restraining orders and XYZ, but I can do it around minors and, and keep my job and that's okay. It's a valid question, and it's an even more valid point. Again, this is not this is not good. This is continuing to bounce around the Overton window in a very bad way. Why are you creating laws to just back up already existing laws? It's the it's just the normalization of this kind of behavior. And again, my 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 larger point too is this. I mean, what's the follow up going to be? You know, I've sort of asked this in in the past, and I'm not sure that I've come across an answer yet, although I haven't done a lot of digging on it, but what's the penalty? What is the penalty for individuals who are working within these environments, they're told to not teach these particular kinds of subjects, as perverse as they are, and then at the exact same time, um, you know, I mean, what's, what's the follow-up? 
Do they lose their job? Are they fined? Does the school get fined? Does the state funding get withheld from the school until they get rid of uh, said teacher who is, you know, who is doing this? I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what the follow-up is. But um, there's a number of, again, a number of states, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Missouri, Indiana, Kentucky, Ohio, Alabama. A lot of them are, are doing this. And I, I, I mean, I suppose it's fine because it's at least combating it. But for Christ's sake, can we not just get rid of these people? Can we not just fire them? You know, you're talking about sex in the classroom. That's remarkably inappropriate. You're fired. I, I just don't understand how hard that is. You know, they can scream at the top of their lungs all they want about, well, I have rights and you know my rights are being violated and I'm allowed to talk about this and blah, blah, blah. No, you're not. No, you're not. And here's the funny part. The funny part is, is if they get fired, what lawyer worth their salt is actually going to defend that person? What lawyer is actually going to come forward and say, you know what, uh, you discriminated against this transgender person who is a female but thinks that they're a male, and they were telling minors about their personal life and their transition and all this other stuff, uh, you know, so you need to rehire them. I mean, what lawyer is going to take that case up to defend that person? I'd like to meet that lawyer because I don't think there are many. I really don't. Um, you know, getting a getting a good lawyer to do the right thing on a constant basis is a difficult thing to do. But getting a lawyer to actually defend someone in a case like that, I think that's next to impossible. But my overall point, of course, is this. And and again, we're talking about serious mental illness. That's ultimately what we're talking about here. And you've heard me say this in the past too. We're talking about individuals who do not know their own subject matter. The only thing that they think they know is themselves, and they don't even know themselves. But yet, here they are, pushing their subject matter to the side, for which they are contractually obligated to teach. And they're teaching their personal lives now. They're teaching their personal lives as subject matter in a classroom. That's not a well human being. That's not a person who's read their contract. That's not a person who belongs in a school building, let alone around minors. It just isn't. Again, when, when a school teacher is using children as their psychological backdrop to make themselves feel better, that's a mentally ill human being. It's just like what I've said in the past, too, about teachers who are sexually attracted to their students. Those individuals should quit their jobs and go and find something else to do for a living because you're in the wrong place. You don't belong there. If that's why you are there, there is something wrong with you. It's no different with this. This is the same kind of thing. It has a different face. It has different names, but it's the same illness. It's the same problem. And again, ladies and gentlemen, this is what is being pumped out by teacher education programs at the university level. The wick is burning at both ends. We are watching the end of American K-12 education and higher education right in front of our eyes. I mean, the shots are doing it. Let's not kid ourselves. But we're actually watching them destroy the entire business with their own mental illness and lack of focus and direction and objectivity because they have none. So what are they left with again? They're left with teaching their own perversions because that's all they care about and that's all they know. These are unhealthy environments. So 
yeah, on this holy week, I hope that uh, people are starting to, again, continuously look into homeschooling and find healthier outlets because this is pure insanity. Again, you've got <laughs> this particular Substack page again. This this person who's writing these articles, whoever they are, it's uh, it's titled "Parents with Inconvenient Truths About Trans P I T T," and it's just some jacked up stuff. One article after another about how just goofy these people are. Again, they're just flat out weird. Um, but it's a massive mental illness, and I don't see it going away. Because again, it's being popularized. Because like I said earlier, they they are not afraid to get on video and put their video out on the internet for everyone to see their face, hear their voice, and hear them talking about how great it was to cut their own genitals off. And this is a problem. <laughs> it's, it's putting it mildly. But uh, wow. And then of course, it, you know, it, it brings into question, as I've even sta- stated this too, I think, because I remember I played a piece of audio a while back of a mother giving a giving a speech. Um, she was standing on a stage and she was talking about the ill health of her daughter and how her daughter was coming home and talking about wanting to transition to being a boy and all this other stuff. And I, I remember, I remember in the podcast episode I was yelling, I was saying, "What is wrong with the parent? Where have the parents gone in all of this?" Uh, I mean, if parents are taking a backseat to the school, what, you know, what the hell's going on? Uh, and, and if recollection serves me correct, she was, uh, this particular mother was a, was a, a, a homemaker. I mean, she could have been homeschooling her child and taking her child out of this environment, but instead was feeding her to the wolves on a day in and day out basis. And then all of a sudden was shocked that the mental health of her daughter um, was, in the, was in the sewer. I, yeah, I, I just don't get it. Um, get involved. Get involved, stay involved. That's that's the role of the parent. It's not to hand them over to this government monster that wants to chew them up and spit them out and convince them that cutting their genitals off is a good thing. My God. Now, again, speaking of burning the candle at both ends here, certainly the wick at both ends, this is a nice little transition into some jab-related stuff here. Uh, a school, and this is happening all over the place, ladies and gentlemen, let's not... Uh, Let's not lose that fact, although this is a rather unique solution to their uh, unmentioned problem. But this comes from Town Hall. I tossed this up on Gab a couple of days ago, and it's worth repeating because, again, in this article, they don't actually say what the real problem is. The title says, A school district adopts four-day week amid teacher shortages. And this is out of Texas. It says, quote, A Texas school district will switch to a four-day school week for the upcoming year due to a teacher and staff shortage. Hmm, I wonder why. I wonder why there's a teacher and staff shortage. I don't think Town Hall's going to tell us the real answer. It says The Hill reported that Jasper Independent School District announced that changes last month in a Facebook post. The school board reportedly voted unanimously to shorten the school week and to offer a $3,000 retention bonus to teachers and $1,500 to staff in three installments. The funding will be pulled from the federal grant program under the Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security CARES Act. So now they're using federal funds 
for the fake pandemic in an effort to pay more people to show up to their building because they're having a hard time keeping teachers around. Now, we know it's the jabs. Again, let's not kid ourselves on that. We know that's, we know that's one of the major reasons. There are countless others, too. Countless individuals do not want to be in this profession anymore because the profession is dying. It's on life support, frankly, so much so that, again, federal funds have to be provided to individuals in an effort to bribe them to show up and stick around for a little while. I mean, my God, how much more evidence do we need that this profession is on full-blown life support? It continues. It says the board decisions were also compiled from the community and staff surveys that showed interest in a shortened school week. Uh, John Siebold, superintendent of the Jasper Independent School District, told Good Morning America that teacher burnout also prompted the decision. There you go. Nice excuse. Teacher burnout. What could it be from? All of the lying that's been taking place this entire time, the mask wearing, the psychological abuse, the satanic distancing from six feet, six feet, six feet. Is that it? Or is it the fact that you're all jabbed and you have HIV? Which is it? Probably a combination of everything. This is just nuts. And again, they, they don't say jabs anywhere throughout this. Well, they're getting sick and, you know, they're dying, but whatever. I mean, they never say that. It says, <laughs> it continues, it says, quote, teacher burnout has been an issue for a long time, but since COVID, it has seemed to expand and it's becoming more and more of an issue. Unquote, Siebold says. He then said, quote, The four day work week kind of makes it a little more manageable for them because there's so much pressure placed on our teachers. Honest to, honest to God. Uh, they just won't say it. They won't say it. I wonder how long it's going to take for these individuals to completely fess up to what they've done, if they ever do. And by the way, if they don't, they are as mentally ill as the audio from the person I played at the very beginning of this episode. Again, these are criminals, the people who are running these buildings and treating people this way. They are, they are mentally ill criminals, without a doubt. It says the following again here, uh, quote, As a school district, ultimately the best thing we can do for kids, it, there's that word kids again, is put the best possible teacher in front of them every day, he added. The teachers will use Fridays as professional development days. So they still have to show up, but there aren't any students there. So it's students that are getting a four-day school day, not, not teachers per se. I don't know. This is now just getting stupid and confusing. It says, GMA reported that in a study conducted last year by the American Federation of Teachers with the RAND Corporation, uh, one in four teachers were thinking about quitting their job by the end of the school year. In the, no kidding. In the study, teachers were also more likely to report experiencing regular job-related stress and symptoms of depression than the general population. No kidding, too. I've mentioned this with regularity and written about it at length. Mental illness among K-12 teachers is remarkably high. The number of K-12 teachers and administrators that are receiving talk therapy and taking pharmaceutical drugs to manage their levels of anxiety, depression, and, and God knows what else they have going on. 
mean, that is happening on a constant basis, and it's one of those things that is always undiscussed, and it's, uh, it's alarming. Again, that's putting it mildly. It says, finally, in conclusion, the four-day school week will begin the following school year. Some school districts in other states, such as Oregon, Montana, Colorado, and Oklahoma, have tried four-day school weeks with mixed results, GMA noted, unquote. Again, I really do feel bad for the good teachers who are awake, and they know what's going on, and they show up, and they teach their subjects, and they're getting bombarded by all of this just horrific news, one story after another. And again, not to mention all of the things that are happening at the local level, but, you know, I mean, the jab stuff alone has got to, has got to just be eye-opening. It, it has to be. You know, every single school district across America that's been pushing these jabs from day one, every single school district has to have had Countless staff members. I don't know the exact number. And even Dr. Lee Merritt has mentioned this, and she's 100% right. The, the actual truthful number of the people within these workplaces that are passing away is incalculable. We, we cannot get our fingers, around, our hands around a particular number and say, well, it's exactly this number, or this district has lost this many uh you know, this many staff members from, from death and illness. I mean, that's not being calculated, and it's probably not even being kept by, by the district themselves. They're simply just saying, well, we lost a staff member and they passed away. Whereas in the past five years, they've never lost a staff member. But all of a the sudden, they're dying off now. This has to be happening in every single school district across America. It has to be. And I mean, we know that it is. But they're not going to be promoting it. These school districts will not say it. They, they will say everything else that they have to. Burnout, um, you know, the pandemic, lack of funds. I mean, the list of excuses is going to be endless, and it's not going to go away. Um, the excuses will become larger, more absurd, and they will just continue. So I'd say keep an eye on that going forward in the future, too, because, again, you know, there was that story recently of, uh, I want to say it was a week ago, maybe even almost two weeks ago, story of, a, a, again, a North Carolina principal, 65 years old, tweeting, tweeting a ton about how, how she was jabbed and boosted and, and did it for her family and her staff and her students to make sure that everybody was safe and everybody was going to be okay. And then she died. Just like that, uh, you know, set to retire and just died. But Nobody's blaming the jabs on that one. It's just, oops, you know, it's just another dead administrator, you know, because that happens all of the time. Uh, I don't know. I, th I think it's awful. But it, it really does, again, bring up the larger question of, as far as these good educators are concerned, what is on their minds? I've had a great deal of them on this podcast, you know, myself here, and, and, and you've heard them. You've heard them talk about what's going on in their environments. It's remarkably sad to hear what's going on. I mean, the business is chewing itself out, uh, chewing itself up from the inside out and from the outside in. I just don't think that it's something that that can possibly last. I will say this though, and this is hilarious. I don't know if I brought this up or not, but Sicily um, from New Mexico, who is the school teacher who I've had on a couple of times, and she 
uh, stays in contact with me from time to time, and, and we text back and forth. Uh, she'll send me a story every now and again. And she, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, she sent me something that was just hilarious. And again, this is one of those things that is happening with regularity. Uh, the very school district that cut her loose because she refused to wear a mask all of the time, she never wore a mask, and wouldn't take the jabs and wouldn't play the abusive games that they wanted her to play. They cut her loose. And guess who is calling her back now in an effort to bring her back and, uh, and, and be a school teacher there again? Again, the, the very school and very district that abused her in the first place. I mean, these people have no shame. None. They are not well. They are not thinking. They're abusing people, punching them. It is the cycle of abuse, without a doubt, by definition. They are punching these people in the face, ruining them, sending them down a mental, uh, you know, a poor mental health spiral right into the ground where they, where they lose their insurance and their paycheck and, and the, the, you know, the mission and job that they love. And then they're begging them to come back because they realize that they don't know how to run a business and they don't know how to run a school and that you can't be an abusive person with any sense of regularity and expect to just get away with it forever. Uh, again, the jabbed are sick. The jabbed are leaving. The jabbed are dying. And again, the other end of that wick is, is people don't want to enter these environments because everybody knows that they are abusive. And so Sicily basically said, here's the email I got. They want me to come back. And I texted her. I said, did you tell them to go pound sand? And she goes, I'm going to. And that right there too, I think is a very interesting opportunity. And I mentioned that to her and she agreed. I said, this is your opportunity to say, hell no, never again. I'm not coming back. I'm homeschooling my child at home. We're having a great time. Uh, you know, go to hell. And then make sure that you email every single staff member within that entire district all the way up to the superintendent. You abused me. You mistreated me. You thought I was less than dirt. And now what? Now, now you're crawling back. You're crawling back to see if I'll return. Go F yourself. No, I'm not coming back. I'm not doing this again. I mean, make, make it known. Make it public. Send that email out to everybody. If you have to, you know, who cares if your name is on it at this point? I mean, you don't have to curse at them, but make it professional. Bring up the cycle of abuse. Bring up what they've done, what they've done to themselves, and they don't even know it. I mean, these things have to be mentioned in these emails. And yeah, if a district actually does that and just crawls back and goes, oh, please come back. We don't have enough people here. You know, people don't want to work here. And we're having to still hire foreigners to be school teachers, which seems completely illegal. But, um, and you know, as we've brought up on the podcast, New Mexico is notorious for that. They're notorious for bringing in uh, individuals that are not American citizens and allowing them to actually be school teachers. But, wow. I mean, they're begging people to come back now. And as I've said, too, they're doing whatever they can, a lot of these districts, to, to, to make backdoor policies and backdoor certification methods in order to get individuals that, you know, have bachelor's degrees in something else or don't even have bachelor's degrees. I mean, that's going to be the next move. Okay, the, the next move, and, we, and we've seen this, by the way, I know I'm rambling a little bit, my apologies, but these thoughts are just coming to me and it makes sense. 
we've watched how the substitute teaching credentials, so to speak, or requirements have dropped. Now to be a substitute teacher in many states, you only need a high school diploma or a GED. You don't need a bachelor's degree anymore, let alone a bachelor's degree in education. So theoretically, anybody can be a substitute teacher now. That's how it's going to be with the teaching profession. It's going to reach such a such a poor state of affairs when it comes to hiring that they're, it would be my prediction that they are going to do away with the need for a bachelor's degree to be an American K-12 school teacher, of course, if that doesn't already exist, which I'm sure it already does. Like I said, they're already hiring foreigners, um, and, and God knows what their you know, education credentials are, so to speak. Uh, but this is going to be the next grand scale move that I think happens on a, on a larger basis. It's, again, to use, their, to use their terminology, the leftist terminology, it is unsustainable. They cannot sustain this for much longer. They're going to have to continue to decrease their, their requirements for who, is, who, who qualifies to be an actual American school teacher because, again, they're hiring transgender people openly and they think that's okay. They want a body. They want someone with a pulse. And again, the need for a bachelor's degree in education was pretty much useless anyway, because you had to have all of this certification, this and certification that. I, I wouldn't, it, it would not shock me in the slightest if they just did away with the need for a bachelor's degree and they just said, okay, look, you can get certified to be a school teacher, you know, take the area exam, take some professional development over the course of a few weeks and boom, bam, just like that, you're now a school teacher. I bet that happens too, ladies and gentlemen, and that's not going to be good for anybody. Okay, shifting gears here. Uh, the Watch the Water documentary, of course, came out on Monday. Been a lot of a lot of talk about it on a lot of different sides. Uh, just some whack jobs out there calling it a psyop, saying it's a distraction and uh, you know it's it's false and this is absurd and blah blah blah. The people who are calling it a psyop. They're the ones that are engaging in a psychological operation against you. I, th- I, think, I think we have the capacity to rub our heads and pat our bellies at the exact same time. We, we can chew gum and walk at the same time. We can think about a lot of different things and look at things from a lot of different angles. Dr. Artis even came back on the Stu Peters show just the other day and was talking a little bit more about, again, the venom in remdesivir and how all of the symptoms line up perfectly. And again, these particular peptides exist not just in the blood of the individuals who have gotten very ill from SARS-CoV-2, but it's the exact same kinds of peptides that are in snake venom. And that's not new, ladies and gentlemen, which is why I want to play you this audio. This particular article was written September 1st of 2021, and it's titled, University of Arizona Researchers Find a Link Between COVID Deaths and Snake Venom. Now, before I play this audio, and it's fascinating, because again, this University of Arizona researcher openly says it. He, he goes, yeah, this is, uh, this is snake venom without a doubt. It certainly has all of the, all of the characteristics and, and the chemical makeup, and that's exactly what it is. The interesting part I think, and, and one of the questions that I have 
in, in particular, based on the things that I've brought up on this podcast and the things that I've looked into and researched, is that we know that the PCR tests are, are fake. They're false. They do not test for this kind of thing. And they are, again, remarkably inaccurate. So when Dr. Artis talks about how individuals are using PCR tests to test the water, and, and we know that they are, that is a fact, why, why are they doing that? I mean, they have to be doing it for nefarious reasons. It's not, you know, I, I, I don't know if this kind of stuff is actually in the water or not, whether the snake venom is in the water or not. Again, it wouldn't surprise me if it was, but um, it just, yeah, I, I think it's thought-provoking to say the least, but relying on a PCR test to provide people with any kind of a real explanation as to what's going on with the water, I think is um, is not very accurate to you know to say the least. Uh, you can rub a you can rub the Binax COVID test on on paint, and it'll test positive. I mean those tests have have had God knows what squirted on them, and they and they test positive or they test negative, or you use the same orange on two separate tests, and they and they give you two separate results. Not to mention. There was a video bouncing around a while back, and I think I brought it up on this podcast. But the those Binax take home COVID tests, quote unquote, uh, people were flashing black lights right over top of them, and it was showing the predetermined line on the tests. So I don't put any time that I hear that somebody's being tested for something in particular regarding everything that's been going on over the last two years. I don't buy it. I don't. I don't think the tests are reliable for anything, but um, I, I'm not. Th- there is no denying that snake venom is in this. Th- there are too many researchers that have written about this. Too many researchers that have discovered this, and it, as it turns out, it's not new. Again, this w- this was discovered by that Dr. Liu, and uh, certainly by these University of Arizona researchers as well, dating back to at least September of last year. So here's the new local news report from this, and this comes from abc15.com. Give this a listen. All new at 10, snakes starting to play a big role in COVID-19 research. Scientists from the U of A discovering an enzyme similar to one found in snake venom could be driving COVID deaths. ABC15's Ashley Perez breaking down the discovery and what it means for the future. Losing a battle with COVID-19, it's like having rattlesnake venom running through your body. At least, that's what researchers are telling us. We found evidence that there was an enzyme, a snake-like enzyme, in the blood of people who were dying in extraordinarily high levels. Scientists from the University of Arizona working on this study for the past year and a half, recently publishing it in the Journal of Clinical Investigation. The snake-like enzyme found in healthy people at low levels to prevent bacterial infections. But in severe cases of COVID-19, it's doing the opposite. These high levels of this enzyme are looking at those tissues in the organs and saying, you look like a bacteria, let's shred your membranes, let's put these organs out of their misery. 
and we're told it may be what's driving COVID-19 deaths. Dr. Floyd Chilton, senior author on the study, saying what's even more remarkable is where we can go from here in the fight against this pandemic. Can we come up with specific therapeutics that will not care which variant is coming towards it? Researchers explain that current clinical trials on snake bites are helping in those efforts. They can possibly repurpose some of the treatments being tested. This could one day result in a viable option other than vaccines to prevent death in severe patients. And that allows us to take a precision medicine approach to the disease. We can go into clinical trials and choose the people who are at risk of this mechanism. Their hope regarding the next step is an international multi-center clinical trial. They're working with global organizations to see how they can make that possible. Yeah, he's taking a few swipes at me already. We asked a rattlesnake expert for his take on this. Something that is almost as universally loathed as rattlesnakes, it seems fitting and interesting and ironic that the venom that they have and rattlesnakes might um, be a key to getting out of this whole situation. I'm Ashley Paredes, ABC 15, Arizona. So again, it's not new. It's legit. It's real. It's not new. Uh, But it's very, very serious, to say the least. And again, the individuals that are coming out of the cracks here who claim to be on our side, who are now making fun of this, as being something that's not real and, oh, it's not in the water system and this, that, and the other. That's his theory. Because, again, he's basing that theory on, and theorizing, by the way, is a critical thinking skill. So, you know, we need to remember that. But the individuals that are criticizing people who, again, claim to be on our side for, for theorizing and thinking about this logically, those individuals are exposing themselves as being frauds the Jordan Sathers of the world, and all of these other weirdos. Um, these, are, these are individuals that are incapable of actual critical thought. And again, regarding the PCR test, that's exactly what Dr. Artis is basically asking. He's saying, hey, look, why are they testing the water then? I mean, my answer to that would be if they're testing the water, it could be because the poison is in the water. Yes, that is, that is a plausible scenario without a doubt. They've been poisoning water for quite some time. Uh, another angle is they're using a false test to purposefully receive a false outcome so that they can make predictions about who they think is going to get sick. And then they can just start saying, well, we've got all these positive tests over here. We're not going to tell you where we got them, but we've got all these positive tests. We can show you these tests. They're faulty, but we're not going to tell you that. And then we're basically going to say this particular area has higher cases of quote-unquote COVID, which again is not what it stands for, but I don't know. I I think that that 95% of this is 100% legit. And, and there, there's still some lingering questions again. I mean, as even Dr. Artis said, he wants people to come forward who work within these water treatment facilities and basically say, look, are you testing this water for this? And again, that might be the next shoe that drops. I'm not entirely sure. But for anybody to be making fun of somebody else for critically thinking, investigating, and asking serious questions, those are people that, you know, it, I don't know. They're not worth paying attention to. I've never thought much of Jordan Sather. I've seen his, uh, I saw a part of one of his videos and I thought to myself, this is some low, low brow, low intellect stuff here. 
Again, he's making fun of people like Lynn Wood. You know, it's not worth it. Lynn Wood has more experience in his pinky finger as a constitutional trial lawyer than Jordan Sather does in his entire body. Um, so I don't know. I'm not one to necessarily go after other individuals like that, but uh, he just seems like low intellect chow to me. So whatever. Anyway, with all of that said, here here's the last thing. And again, shifting gears uh, one more time here. Here's here's two two particular stories I want to read. One that kind of wraps up the jab stuff, and then a story of a miracle, which I think is beyond appropriate here on Holy Week and with Easter coming up and uh, the resurrection. So first of all, this is uh, this is an individual's anonymous take on what's going on with the jabs and sort of the doctor's point of view and how doctors really aren't talking about this much anymore and asking people if they're jabbed and, and even pushing the jabs. Again, I'm not saying that there aren't doctors out there that are still doing it. I'm sure there are, but it's certainly toned down if I had to take a guess. And it says this, this comes from greatawakening.win. It's titled Doctor's Visits. Not one medical professional has asked me if I've been vaxxed. It says, quote, I've had several doctor's visits this past few weeks, these past few weeks, in different offices. I had cancer three years ago, small tumor, caught early, doing well. So this time of year, I'm doing my annual checkups. Even at the infamous and major medical cancer center in the Northeast, not one person asked me if I was vaxxed. Not the doctor, not the staff at the front desk upon entering, not the physician's assistant or the x-ray tech, not a soul. I forgot to put on my mask again after donning the hospital robe, and the oncologist said not one word about it through the whole appointment. Next, I went to a new general practitioner for a physical and talked about some discomfort in my chest area, and don't you think that should have been his next question given the complaint and the incidence of heart problems from the jab? Never even asked. Never mentioned the vax once. He avoided the question like the plague. Not too long ago, all doctors in my orbit asked about my vax status and encouraged boosters and did their due diligence. Those days are over, folks. Uh, it's, he then says, they know, they know what's going on now, unquote. I'll tell you what, I have no doubt that that's the case. I have no doubt. You know, these private emails that have to be sent out to hospital staff from time to time about the jabs. I mean, they've got a, you know, and they have too many jab-injured individuals. The jab-injured news is coming to the surface, and this has been going on now for, what, a year and a half? The jab-injured have been around for a year and a half, approximately. It was only a matter of time. But man, the egg on these people's faces. Uh, you know, they are not going to be able to walk down the street, no doubt about it. What they have done to people, the death and pain that they have caused by just not, again, really doing their real due diligence is, uh, I don't know, it's, it's beyond awful. It's just beyond awful. So let me end on a positive note here. This is a story, again, from Great Awakening. When I thought it was very cool. And very appropriate given given this week and this weekend. It is titled, Here is my friend Kurt's story. Let's just say every single one of us is a huge deal. 
It says, quote, Do you need a miracle? This weekend, I remember my first miracle. Many years ago, I was flying in a small plane with my friend Doug, who was the pilot. It was after midnight, and it had just rained. We were attempting to land in the city of Worthington. The airport was covered with a thick blanket of fog. No one was at the small airport to give us direction. We lowered our plane into the fog to circle and look for the airport. We did this three times and found nothing. It was like flying into a solid white wall. When there is no visual reference, you can get vertigo in a matter of a few minutes. One can be flying sideways or upside down and not even realize it. Doug was worried. He apologized for taking off in the first place. We should not have been flying in such weather. I felt calm and told Doug that God had a plan for our lives, and we would live to affect the lives of others in a positive way. A fourth time, we descended into the fog to look. We were so low, we buzzed a house. I could see the outline of the shingles. Then when we crossed the runway, I thought, quote, we're actually going to make it, unquote. Doug banked into the plane, Doug banked the plane to the left. Once we completed the turn, we would be lined up to land. In the turn, we were again flying into the fog. We looked for the lights of the runway. I looked over at Doug. He had blacked out. I started at the controls. I had no idea how to land this thing. I don't remember the impact. The next memory was waking up still in my seat. However, my seat had moved. It was now where the right wing used to be. The door to the plane was open in front of me. I sat right behind it with my feet sticking straight out underneath it and into a freshly planted cornfield. I was fine. Both wings and the engine were gone. Doug's seat, too, had separated from the floor and he was laying sideways on the cockpit floor. He was in shock. I knew his name, mine, and nothing else. We spent the night in the hospital and left in the morning. Just before leaving, my friend Karen called. She and her husband, Lorne, were driving while we were flying. She had been asleep and woke up having dreamt that Doug and I were unable to find the airport in heavy fog and land. They stopped the car and prayed for us. Then it says this. It says, Do you need a miracle? You can have one. You can have more than one. I have witnessed many in my life. Do you know someone who does? You can manifest a miracle for others, just as Lauren and Karen did. Miracles do happen. Do you need a miracle? Unquote. I think we could all use one at this point, don't you? I'm pretty sure we could all use a miracle at this point. Continue to have a great week, everybody. Happy Easter weekend, and I'll catch you on Monday. Take care. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.